on three, give me crew show on two, three, and four. Six, three. Mach three, give me start, line two. Five, eleven. Mach three, give me start, line one, and crew show on seven and nine. Part one. Do something. I hate that. Super up line three, red ball, avionics. Super ops line two is code three for engine vibe. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as legal advice, nor the formation of an attorney-client relationship. Come on, it's a fucking podcast. Okay, so today I'm joined by Luther Abel, the Nights and Weekend Editor at National Review. And first of all, Luther, thank you very much for coming on the podcast, especially on such short notice. I read your article, I think, like four days ago and shot you the email. And here we are four days later and we're talking about it. But this is something... Uh, the article essentially was uh, why military recruitment is miserable, and it kind of laid out these three points of uh, the reasons. Uh, but one in particular, something I wasn't aware of, and I suspect either my listeners are aware of and don't understand the gravity, or they're not aware like me. Uh, but essentially, it's about a a new sort of medical system that might be impacting recruitment across the DoD. Uh, so, Luther, first of all, thank you very much for joining me, especially on such short notice. Yeah, delighted to be here. Thanks for hosting me. Uh, and I encourage anybody that is starting this podcast, as long as you're not driving, I would probably stop and I'll post a link to the article um, in the podcast description, also on the Facebook page. But I would give it a read so you can kind of have some background on it. Uh, but we will probably be able to talk about it and summarize it enough for if you didn't read it for you to get by. So, Luther, if you're able, <laughs> not intentional, but I'll still take the I'll still take the pun win as it is. Can you kind of um, summarize your article just generally, and then we can get into the more granular details after that? Yeah, so quickly, a little bit about me. I joined the Navy, enlisted uh, right out of high school, uh, Navy nuke turned conventional. And uh, so knowing my recruiting process, I've been watching the recruitment shortages the last couple of years. And not only concerned for the branches uh, suffering these shortages, which would be Army, Air Force, and Navy, but also frustrated by what I found were incomplete answers for why it might be happening. So in sort of a rare thing for a journalist to do, I went and asked people who might know more than me. <laughs> and uh, so I talked to uh, a few recruiters um, who I knew at various points uh, in my career and had been recruiting recently enough that they would know what the very latest is. So these are guys who are still or have just finished uh, their recruitment cycles. And what I heard from them was that in their experience, a lot of the public discourse around the shortages was failing to touch on <laughs> the items most affecting recruitment that the especially the partisan concerns. So uh, I'm a political commentator. I would not say I'm an objective journalist generally, uh, for those of you who go look me up. I'm coming from a conservative sensibility. 
So on the right, there's this complaint about wokeness in the military, especially in the, under the Biden administration, where you have progressive sort of uh, policy goals, social engineering in the service. You heard about this maybe back during the Obama administration, the same complaint. On the left, the concern is about various sorts of supremacist inclination in the ranks and that that might be a reason people aren't signing up. And in the middle, we have, of course, COVID lockdowns, uh, recruiter access to uh, potential applicants uh, being severely reduced and still much lower than it was uh, pre-COVID. Then there's concerns about recruit readiness where uh, drugs are much more commonplace and with federal drug prohibitions that, that just, the, the average 18 year old is incompatible with federal service uh, due to drug use, uh, as well as obesity. And certainly that was through COVID. A lot of us were more sedentary than we would have liked to be and uh, what that might mean. And as well as um, recruiter quality, I think has come up. And uh, certainly in the Navy, it was not a punishment per se, but if you wanted to advance, the expectation was that you'd push boots or you'd go recruit. So you've got a lot of guys there who don't really want to be recruiting, but want to retire. And so we'll put in the time as recruiters. And so may not be as willing to go the distance for uh, filling the ranks as someone who had picked that out of many other options. I have a quick question. We haven't gotten into the real meat and potatoes yet, but it's a, a thought that strikes me and that this podcast is essentially just an hour of thoughts that strike me and me compelling my guests to answer them to the best of ability. Do you think as somebody that was in the Navy, you went through the recruitment process, talking to these recruiters and also just as you understood the recruitment process, like I've had recruiter friends, I talked to them and I, went, I had my own recruitment um, when I went through when I was recruited. Do you think it's possible for recruiters to meet their target goals without employing dishonesty or um, tactics that might be seen as disingenuous or dishonest. And that's not to say that recruiters are liars. I'm not saying that at all. It's more of does their productive target necessitate these, these sorts of um, maybe less than honest sort of tactics. So I have a lot of sympathy for recruiters on multiple levels. I think, working within a quota system and sort of oddball incentives uh, for what you're trying to accomplish. And we'll get into the what I believe is the real reason for these shortages, a change in how we report a, an applicant's uh, medical records. Mm -hmm. But I think recruiters, if a recruiter came to me and tried to recruit me, I would know the language he's speaking and what he's saying about a job. I was a machinist mate, a, a mechanic. I worked in the belly of an aircraft carrier. I know what he's trying to say. Unfortunately, most Americans are completely ignorant mm -hmm. of military matters. And some recruiters, I don't think, quite understand this and need to explain more of how the military operates. Mm -hmm. Most young Americans just don't know. They don't know the chain of command. They don't know um, or have been exposed to the sort of responsibility that is uh, demanded of an E-nothing mm -hmm. as soon as he leaves home. Uh, 
So I think the, the culture shock that many young recruits get, they apply to the recruiter. He lied to me. He told me I was going to be working on this or that. Like, well, yes, you are. But being in the military is more than just your, your MOS, your rate uh, in the Navy, what have you. Uh, it, it, it's a, it is a lifestyle change that not many 18-year-olds recognize. And so they become disenchanted. Uh, and is that the recruiter's fault? No, I don't think so. Not, not at the end of the day. My first year, yeah, I hated my recruiter's guts. I was like, that dirty dog, he, he did me so wrong. Uh, but by year three or four, I like, okay, I get it. If I was in his shoes, I would have been more truthful. But there's only so much you can tell a recruit that he'll even recognize and be able to fit inside his worldview. You just kind of have to live military life to understand what we're talking about sometimes. That's fair. And we'll, I think we'll revisit that once we frame the conversation about what you kind of alluded to, the medical uh, record system that is essentially impeding recruitment. Um, so maybe you can tell me about what, what the medical screening was prior to this change, when the change happened, and what it looks like now. Yeah, so when I signed up in 2012, it was essentially a self-reporting system, right, where you go into the recruiter's office, there's a sort of pre-screening, and you mark if you've had you know, cancer, diabetes, or had your head checked by a professional in your past. And if you don't say that you had anything, all right, we'll take you to MEPS, have you looked over? They'll do the same sort of screening, maybe a couple more questions. And it's usually at that point that the recruiter says, you know, Luther, you're a healthy kid, you're good, even if you had your tonsils removed at some point, we don't have the documentation for it. Maybe you just, you don't have to mention it, right? It's not going to change you serving the country. So I would call that one of the many white lies of recruitment. But the recruiter in this instance understands the bureaucratic stumbling points and that if you report some superfluous condition you had when you were eight years old, it's just going to be more work for you, for him, and for MEPS. And the Navy might ultimately lose out because you are a healthy recruit reporting this, this long gone condition, whatever it was, even if later you're wavered in, that obstacle of having to get the note from the doctor, the documentation, making the statement might drive that recruit away, which would ultimately harm the Navy's recruitment numbers. So the recruiter is almost playing like a referee here and go, ah, it's better, just don't report this because it would be fine anyway. And we might, you know, we won't say it's a recruit. We might lose you if you have to jump through all these extra hoops and the Navy does really need you. So just don't even report it and everything will be fine. Is that close? Yeah, that's entirely accurate. I mean, that's what marketing 101, uh, reduce as, <laughs> as much friction as possible between, I guess, the customer, in this case, the recruit, getting what he wants, joining the military. So the sooner you can get the recruit signed up and sworn in, better for him, better for the recruiter, better for the U.S. military. And so there's also like a medical exam at MEPS. I mean, I, I went through it, you went through it, we all went through it. And that's essentially meant to 
check you out to see if there is any lingering conditions that can be seen by a medical provider that might preclude military service or, or might hamper, right? Precisely. Like, um, they're not having you swear in and then shipping you straight to USS Carl Vincent. Like, there is this medical examination at MEPS and then, again, at boot camp, where there are many stages where the sort of medical conditions that would impede a recruit from his work are resolved there. And if he needs to be cut loose, that that's the time to do it. He can say, oh, sorry, you know, we checked you at MEPS, your blood work's bad, sorry, we can't bring you on. And then again, at boot camp, the US taxpayer is not obligated to give any severance or benefits to someone who's cut loose in boot camp and then separated. Uh, we kind of understand that, you know, things can come up. That's fine, but uh, it's best for everyone that we do it there. So there is a check to make sure we aren't having unhealthy or disabled individuals. Anyone who would suffer physically or mentally in the military beyond what is reasonable, they would already be gone. Right. And that's fine as well. But in, if I may introduce yeah. what I, Please. My, my theory here. If you're nodding along or learning something new, chances are someone you know would be interested as well. Hit that share button. It's a quick way to support our journey and bring more folks into this conversation. Take a second to like our Facebook page, subscribe to the podcast and never miss an episode. And if you know someone who'd love this as much as you do, why not share an episode with them? As always, thanks for listening. The U.S. military, DOD, the Pentagon, introduced this new system called Genesis, uh, which is sort of a, a medical records aggregator. So instead of, I think when you were in, when I was in, we had physical paper copies of all of our medical information that when we left a command, we would have to take it in our hands and walk it into the, ne the next command, wherever that might be, and we're in charge of our entire medical history between those two points. And now it's all going digital. It's sort of like my chart mm -hmm. in the civilian world uh, as this great clearinghouse for medical information. What I don't think was fully comprehended at the time, though, was that there's this uh, component where an applicant, uh, recruit applicant, signs away a release form saying, you can look at my pharmacy records. Uh, even before he's sworn in, before all that, MEPS will have access to his entire medical history by way of his um, pharmacy record and be able to see that he got painkillers at a hospital, which would indicate he had a surgery of some sort. Well, we're going to need all documentation with that. MEPS can see he was prescribed Ritalin at the age of 14 or 15. We're going to need records for that, or we're auto disqualifying you. There are certain conditions, especially the dyslexias, IEPs, ADHD. You said IEP? Like an individual, so like that's, if I understand correctly, that's an individual education plan, right? That is correct. Which, which means you may not even have a learning disability. You might have just had like a divorce happen and your schooling kind of suffered. And they're like, okay, we're going to sit you down and, and set you back on track for catching up to your classmates. That's also an IEP that isn't necessarily indicative of any medical condition, right? This is correct. So 
and IEPs are extremely popular, especially in wealthy school districts, which mm. uh, it, it's a way for more longer test times and students you know. to get ahead. And so in very competitive school districts, parents will, you know, go go doctor hunting and find one who will get their kid what he needs to sign up for an IEP. I think it's also important to note, and I don't necessarily disagree with you, but like we don't know the actual numbers of people that are doctor shopping to get an IEP from an otherwise healthy student to advance versus affluent parents that happen to have the financial resources to find doctors to, to sort of uh, recommend IEPs. But it's kind of muddy That's to be right. able to spot the difference. But you can certainly say, you know, or what I understand, the more affluent sort of communities do have a higher amount of IEPs, but it's unclear exactly what is truly driving it besides resources or maybe uh, manipulation. Yeah. Thank you mm -hmm. for the disclaimer. That's that is correct. Right. Uh, so whatever the case, these kids who are usually very high performing and would go to some of our top destinations as far as ASVAB scores. So in the Air Force, presumably intelligence, maybe even uh, the pilot programs in the Navy would be nuclear, crypto, few other things. These, these students don't even have the chance to join because of this this uh, blotch on the records according to the military standards at present and the military can now see this in a way that they did not in 2021 and before so as in may 2022 this genesis system arrived to all MEP stations and uh, since then in 2022 we had our first serious recruiting shortage and in 2023, again, 41,000 short between Army, Navy, and Air Force. I believe for Air Force, this was the first time they had a sh recruiting shortage since 1999. So this isn't something that just happens, you know, uh, cyclically or what have you. For the Air Force to be short, airmen was shocking in a way that for Army and Navy, they have greater demand, and sometimes you don't hit quota. But uh, the Marines have never failed to meet theirs. Yeah. So a couple ideas on that. Um, nothing I can verify yet. But one. I think the Air Force, Army and Navy are essentially interchangeable for most applicants. It's like, well, Air Force take me. I heard they're kind of cool, but Navy can guarantee my job or whatever. Right. I'll go check them out. If a guy's going into a recruiting office to check out the Marines, he wants to be a Marine. And so when I'm talking about people being medically disqualified, you can, of course, apply for waivers. Mm -hmm. Now, this will require a lot more work on your part, on the recruiter's part, what have you. Uh, but I think most people going into Air Force, Army, and Navy are more casual about it and not willing to put in that, any, that extra effort. Uh, and I don't think the recruiters are either because their quotas typically higher. And so they're just going for the guy they can get through with the least amount of fuss. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Uh, and that, that makes sense because that's where the incentives but are. But Marine recruiters and and by selection, Marine, re, Marine recruits have 
a like innate grit, perseverance, and pride. I would assume it's kind of what you're getting at. Yeah, I, I I believe so. And I mean, it's anecdotal experience, but I was recruited by the Marines, and that was that was a world of difference between being in the Navy or Army yeah. shops. That was you got out of there and like your testosterone was spiking. I was just stoked. And I'm not, I am not a joiner or a team guy, but the guys who, who feel right in the Marine shop, that's what they're going to yeah, want to sense. do. They want to be Marines. They talk about always being Marines. There's no former Marine. There's plenty of former sailors, plenty of former airmen. Yeah. It's just a different mentality. Yeah. And so the, Recruiters are going to stay on their applicants about this stuff. The applicant is going to do what he wants to do uh, because there is a status attached to it that I don't think is near as much in the other branches. So if I understand correctly, Genesis was what, a couple of years ago, um, a few years ago, maybe. So prior to, I agree, it was you, were, you report. I remember when I went to my, I mean, obviously I went to my recruiter in 1997. So my my enlistment was so long ago that he had to literally take a sharpie and line through have you ever had homosexual um act because it was right when don't ask don't tell was repealed that they didn't even update their forms yet that's how long ago um or that's not sorry that's not when don't ask don't tell was repealed that's when don't ask don't tell was implemented and they repealed the inquisition into your um, sexual orientation that's how long ago i enlisted but i remember there was a specific about marijuana drugs and things like that. I think it's specifically marijuana. And I had never touched any drug in my life. And I was going to like fill it out. And my recruiter's like, you need to mark zero there. I'm like, well, yeah, but the number is zero. He's like, I don't care what the number is. You need to mark zero. I'm like, no, the number is zero. I'm not lying. It's zero. Like, you don't need to coach me because my answer is the coached answer that you want. But like, it was almost like he was just, it was so reflexive, you know, reflexive to mark zero there, mark zero there, mark zero there. Um, that, so like, and I can't remember the medical stuff. And also I probably wouldn't disclose in this podcast anyway, what I did or didn't mark for medical at my enlistment. But I, I don't know if I remember the medical conversation, um, but there was definitely, you could feel this tension with the recruiter. Like he was hyper fixated on these specific things that were going to jeopardize your enlistment either in its entirety or your enlistment timetable because you know recruiters are juggling are they getting people in also are they meeting quotas in a specific period of time to get people in because also like there's a really big balancing act between job vacancies people qualify going in all these sorts of things it's a very sort of fluid system that i'm sure there's some crazy algorithm now that figures it all out but like i remember that conversation with my recruiter there was very much direction of how I should fill this form out. And so when I think about a new system that is going to automatically flag any prescription. Now, if I understand correctly, it only flags your prescription. It does not flag your conditions or your full medical record. It just gives like a small window to solicit further um, evidence. Is that correct? That is how I understand it. Yes. So if you are prescribed oxycodone for whatever reason they would look at the prescribing doctor and say okay he was in a hospital system or he was you know a dentist you know uh, getting your wisdom teeth out what have you either way 
you would need to go to that doctor and say, can you clear me for service? Can we get those records? Uh, so an example of this sort of system, I was too honest at MEPS and I had um, orthotics, arch supports, uh, prescribed to me by a podiatrist and my recruiter hadn't brought it up. Uh, it wasn't on his forms, but it was on MEPS forms. And so I marked, yeah, yeah, I've had orthotics because it's no big deal. Well, the doctor looked at me and was like, well, do you have documentation for this? No, sir. All right, get out. <laughs> you're, you're done today. Uh, and you need to come back with all that stuff. And so I had to go see the podiatrist, $75 copay. We had to set it up weeks in advance and do all this nonsense for arch supports that I hadn't needed for years. But because the bureaucratic expectation is that you have documentation for each and everything, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how minor, how major, you need everything attached to that. Uh, and thankfully, that doctor was still in business and had my records. Otherwise, I would have been SOL. I don't know. So, what's the ask of the provider? Is it a an evaluation or an exam or a letter stating that like your condition is not expected to degrade or it shouldn't impact such and such? Because I imagine if you if you're currently seeing a doctor, that's not a, a heavy lift because you have an ongoing uh, therapeutic sort of relationship. But if it's like ADHD medication from ten years ago, like what are you, what is the DoD or MEPS? What do they expect that doctor to write to sort of um, kind of assuage their concerns about your fitness? I don't think they would admit to this, but I think it's sort of arbitrary, uh, depending on who's reviewing the case. They want as much information as you can give them. So if your doctor is willing to write you a letter, that's great, but they at least want the records attached to it. So the more you can provide them that says you're good to go, the more likely you are uh, approved. But the waiver process is not cut and dry. It's up to the reviewing officer, the reviewing medical officer, to uh, hmm. make your decision on whatever day uh, your waiver case may be in front of them. So I know, and, and you may not know this, and if you don't know, that's fine. Like I know in the military, there's lots of conditions you can have and you can continue serving. Yeah, there might be some medical evaluation boards if you're on a waiver uh, or a profile um, for deployment or physical fitness for a prolonged period of time. There might be some sort of bureaucratic or administrative triggers to evaluate you for continued service. But like if your cholesterol levels are bad, they'll just give you like drugs for it and you'll just stay in the military the whole time and you're never going to get separated from the military. Is Are these sorts of checks at MEPS only for the conditions that would otherwise be um, prohibitive for continuing military service or is essentially any medical condition, if they see a prescription for it, they want supporting stuff from the doctor, even if it's cholesterol, if they prescribe medication for cholesterol or something as i understand it from the recruiters i interviewed it is better that the military not know about it from a prior doctor on your record and they discover that yeah maybe your cholesterol is a little off but now that if they see that you've been prescribed cholesterol medication statins what have you by another doctor you need to go get those documentation so here again I guess I have to make the separation between simple 
absolute disqualification and just a lot of busy work right. in uh, collecting things, making it more likely that an applicant says, screw this, I'm not waiting around for months uh, just to see if I'm approved to go or not. Uh, there are, of course, certain things that may show up in your history that no go, absolutely not, no waiver will get you through. And there's the vast majority, which is waiver dependent. Mm -hmm. And we can eventually work you through if you're willing to uh, put in the legwork there. Okay. And so you also um, mentioned something in your article, and it reminded me of a podcast I did with uh, uh, Maria Guido, if anybody wants to go back and listen to it. But you had said something that I kind of came to the realization in that episode, which is the more affluent uh, recruits are actually going to have a harder time getting in because they do have access to care uh, better compared to, to um, recruits that might be coming from poverty that don't have as much access to health care, which also means access to prescriptions or even being able to afford the prescription, like you talked about in your article, um, that, um, that white kids are treated for mental health at twice the rate of others. Um, and boys are often medicated more than girls. That to me also, I mean, obviously that's along racial lines, but there is going to be some disparity in childhood treatment between these recruits, but they might all have the same conditions because we're focusing on the treatment they receive, not actual diagnosis or what their current state is. Because that's like the cr the first crumb of of uncovering these things, right? That is correct. And that's still hypothesis. I don't have a lot of information other than what uh, you just shared. Uh, I do want to point out for those wondering, well, how big of a deal could this this be? That on Friday, I got a statement from the Air Force saying that their medical disqualifications doubled uh, after Genesis was implemented. Uh, so used to have an 80% clear rate uh, in 2021. So mid-COVID, uh, getting to kind of the tail-ish end of it, 80% uh, clearance rate, pretty good. Four out of five were medically good to go uh, through MEPS. Uh, in 2022, that figure dropped to 69%. And then in 2023, that figure was 58%. Uh, so that means there's... 20 percentage points of applicants who had to go out and get a bunch more stuff for the Air Force, or the Air Force would have to recruit some 20,000 more applicants to get the same number of qualified recruits uh, with that lower clearance rate. Concerning, because I don't believe any of the branches are prepared for recruiting that many more than they had to before. Uh, and that's almost a 50-50 shot. Or we're heading towards a 50-50 yeah. shot of um, whether someone you take to MEPS uh, will make it through and be able to swear in that day. That's uh, unacceptable. So it seems like this new system essentially removed some avenues to conceal information, right? So like one of the tools in the recruiter toolkit, and again, I don't, like I agree, I don't fault them. I think they are given an impossible task and failure is not an option. Like you can't not fill 
the billets in the military for national security reasons. So they will achieve it no matter what. And they had to make sure you put zero here. You have not smoked any marijuana. Don't report this. Don't report that. Like they've employed, like, again, this is not a slight to them at all. I think they're given a very difficult task, but that is like dishonest. I think we have thrived on that, that just below the surface dishonesty that is widespread in that community to achieve our recruitment goals. And we sit, and it's almost like we lulled the DOD as a big entity, lulled themselves into forgetting that that was a course of business sort of thing in order to meet these numbers. And they rolled out Genesis, which essentially cut out a massive chunk of essentially the recruiter toolkit to to ease people into the military. Yeah, and I think there is a difference here. We talked about how the Marines have had success where the other branches have not. And I think there's also a difference between the officer ranks and the enlisted ranks. And the guys making these decisions regarding Genesis, Mm -hmm. greater recruitment, are coming out of the officer corps where you apply, you are not guaranteed any position and you have to work to join the, the brand oh yeah and it's competitive choice. like it's 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 a buyer's market not a seller's market in that case correct and so for them they probably had to provide all those medical medical records anyway and they didn't really understand that on the enlisted side we're just trying to grab any guy off the street will you join and so you get all kinds and my few examples were there's some guys who walk into the recruiter's office and say, hey, my dad kicked me out of the house. I just need to go. What, what's your first billet? What's the first thing I can do that gets me out of town? My girlfriend broke up with me. What have you? That doesn't happen in the O-Corps. It's pretty commonplace yep. on the enlisted side. And every, anything that delays that guy being able to ship out makes it just as likely he slides off somewhere else. He starts working the Amazon warehouse, joins, I don't know, the Peace Corps. He just disappears from polite society. There, there's there's a lot of, in the military's view, worse places a guy can go than join the military. So we should be doing everything we possibly can to retain guys walking in the door and willing to join us at a moment's notice. Yeah. Is Genesis a good system? Like- Maybe the pain, maybe the growing pain of Genesis is the near term. In the long term, maybe you'll have better retention because, I mean, kind of what you described for the enlisted person coming in, it's not necessarily impulsivity, but it's like the Marines have like a commitment to doing it. Officers also have that seem to have that commitment to doing it. Is it possible that through Genesis and even though it's creating some obstacles of recruitment, we might have better retention in the long term from it? Or are we going to lower our medical expenses in the DOD? Are we going to lower our VA disability ratings on the back end in the long term? I mean, I know we don't have the data on this, but like, is Genesis in the long term a good thing, do you think, or a bad thing? I think it's a good good thing. Uh, hearing from doctors after I published, there are a lot of frustrations. Whenever you make a, you know, a huge change to how health records management occurs, there are going to be growing pains of not just a couple years. It's going to take a long time to learn the system. Uh, But having had records lost before, that that (laughs) really sucks. And especially if you're going from, like one of my ships was decommissioned. 
I couldn't call my past command and get new documentation sent over. It didn't exist. And actually, the command was blown up during um, RIMPAC, during a SyncX uh, event. <laughs> so like, even the hull of the ship that I was on is now sitting on the ocean floor. Uh, so to have all of my information there that I can then make an appeal to the VA for disability in the future, that is a godsend, really, quite good. But I think we made a, a bad choice in applying it to those who have yet to join us. And you can't undo it, right? Like the brass can't go to Congress and say, you know what? We screwed up. People were lying to us. Then we found out they were lying. And we need them to lie. We can we go back to lying. We need those lies to get people in. Can we go back to that, please? No, that's not going to happen. But the, the disqualification standards are far too rigorous, in my view. So instead of if a guy's taken Ritalin in the past three years, auto DQ, make it the last six months. Something like that. Yeah. And if it's before then, say that was then, that's fine. Um, and even for those guys, maybe not auto DQ, but if it's a low enough dosage, like we can continue treatment yeah. for this. Uh, because uh, I know all sorts of guys who are more or less um, self-medicating with energy drinks yeah. and other things uh, to really what I think is manage ADHD sort of um, symptoms. And these are the guys who are, you know, driving our ships. And we shouldn't be concerned about that because they're, they're great workers, smart guys, think a little differently or at different rates of speed, but they're, they're doing the job. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that's a good point. Instead of rejecting guys for being medically treated, we should say, that's great. We, we need that, uh, so let us continue doing this. So I think it's tuning down a lot of our, our standards to a place that is reasonable. And what I'm really excited about this is it isn't a partisan issue at all. Yeah. It's simply saying we, re we recognize reality, which for the military is difficult is. sometimes. But <laughs> this can happen in a Democrat or Republican administration. And it's something as simple as changing, changing language, changing numbers. Um, and then I think Genesis has a real opportunity to improve quality of care for uh, the entire military and um, veterans administration. Does I think I know the answer to this, and I think it's a good intersection. Does the Genesis track medicinal marijuana prescriptions? That's a great question, and I don't have an answer. Because then you're going to get like the double whammy, right? You're going to get the medical. Well, were, were you taking it for anxiety or whatever? And also now you have marijuana that we have to allow, now dig into. That is an excellent question. I did not hear anything about that from the Californian recruiter. So I wonder, well, now it's just, it's completely legal there, recreationally. Yeah, I wonder well. if medicinal marijuana is not reported into a medical record system. I bet those provide, I, first of all, it's going to be state by state because that's how we handle these things. And I bet a lot of the states don't require it to go into a national database. It probably just requires records to be kept at that provider, in which case it, it might wouldn't. be a state database yeah. instead of. Does Genesis touch state databases? That I, I don't hmm. know. 
uh, I contacted the DOD and all four branches, the um, as well as the company that administers Genesis. And outside of the DOD's response at the behest of the Army, which was an anodyne sort of, mm-hmm. we like Genesis, it's great for <laughs> care. Uh, the Air Force, and full credit to them, came through with statistics and uh, transparency that no one else offered in the week since I've uh, contacted each of these branches. Well, well, uh, if you are a listener and you happen to know, then leave a comment and educate us, because I think both me and uh, Luther, we don't know. So uh, any final thoughts before we wrap up? No, except this should be done immediately. (laughs) That's really what it comes down to. So you're listening. uh, Contact your congressman. Uh, So you've got... Senate Armed Forces Committee, uh, headed by Wicker and a few others. I think he's out of Mississippi. But um, contact your congressman. Say, hey, this needs to be resolved. Uh, As I explained in the piece, our branches can all afford some trimming from time to time. Like We don't need as many active duty personnel as we have. I'd say especially my army, but that's a Navy guy speaking. Yep. What do I know? Uh, it's one thing to intentionally shrink the size of your force. It's another to have it happen to you. Unplanned. Yeah. Yeah. Um, by accident. Because there are places that we need these sailors to be aboard ships taking fire in the Red Sea at um, various maintenance commands. Like we can't afford to be missing bodies that we thought we would have. And that's what it comes down to is planning and foresight. We didn't expect this to happen. And those who are active duty are suffering for not having the amount of trained people around them that they should. So it seems like almost like the near term solution is for the military to really focus on retention. Like what's causing people to leave as a stopgap to backfilling through the, whatever this Genesis filtration for recruitment is. And I know you get lopsided with rank and things like that, but I'd rather have an E6 stay in another four years and do the job of an E5 or an E4 than have that billet go empty. And either you're promoting someone that's grossly inexperienced up into it because you got to backfill, but also just not missing 20,000 people or some crazy number. Yeah, and I would be interested... Um to see exactly what they're offering. I know the Navy has offered starting at, I think $10,000 that if you were to originally planning to leave in September, that if you're willing to leave in February, we'll give you 10 grand to ship out wow. now. The Air Force also right. offered uh, retirees to come back in. Yeah, and I think that's great. I do think retirees get pretty happy retired. Uh, I don't know how many would be willing to do 0% that. 0% is the answer. The answer to your question is 0%. Because like, <laughs> if you're a retiree, you would go back in. Tony Carr just did an article on it today, and he's a genius. And we'll see if he listens. Uh, but like, you go back in, you can't be promoted. You still have to PT test. You still have to write performance reports. You still have to deploy. You still ha- you now you're also subject to I mean as a retiree you're still subject to UCMJ but you know not really but back in the military you're gonna be subject to UCMJ 
And and oh, by the way, so like you can't promote, you can tack on time to get more months uh, of retirement pay, but you have to forego your retirement pay when you join. You have to forego any VA disability compensation when you rejoin. And if you're employed, obviously you're not gonna be employed anymore. I can't fathom the retiree that would take this deal. Yeah, I, I wrote about this six months ago. Like, what, what, what's the best way to get guys who have already done the training, right? Because I'm sure it's the same in the Air Force as it was the Navy. A new sailor isn't worth nope. anything. It's actually a burden because you got to train them. Years, yeah. like two, three years before he starts contributing. Um, and so my pitch was let the retired guys do the recruiting Yeah. because yeah. they're going to be recruiting near their home. They're usually very proud of what they did in the military and have way more experience to offer. This is another thing about recruiters. A recruiter is usually at his, what, six to 12 yeah. year mark. And then some guys go back to it again. He doesn't really know all that much about his branch. Yeah. He's been yeah. at one or two commands maybe. Uh, so what does a mechanic know about someone who's in the air wing? Nothing. He's going off of really bullshit that he heard from the guys yeah. in the air wing. Uh, which is mostly hyperbolic, funny, uh, but not exactly the truth. Uh, so if you get this 20, 30-year retired guy telling you what the military is like, you can trust he has a pretty good idea and has done most of what yeah. he's describing. And that frees up all those guys who don't want to be recruiting anyway to go back and get in the engine shops, get back on the ship, go with our deployed forces. The retiree, he's... he's going home every night. That's good for everyone. And for the guys who do want to get back to the ship, I think making them contractors and having some sort of semi-open portal yep. where for in the Navy, captains, admirals to go on and say, we need a couple destroyer guys. We need gas turbine uh, mechanics. If you, if you did this work, you want to come back, we'll pay you cash. And I'm sure that Congress would offer some sort of job protection for your job at home. Uh, kind of like family medical yeah. leave in some ways in the civilian sector. Um, something akin to that. So we're getting guys out there who are making real money, contributing where it matters, but aren't being treated <laughs> in the same patronizing manner that most active duty guys are. Because uh, no one wants to go back under the UCMJ. Nope. <laughs> Once you get out from under it, that DD-214 smells real good. I'll tell you what, though. This First of all, this is not legal advice. But that could be a very interesting pathway that if you're retired and you've been submitting like a VA disability claim that keeps getting denied for a lack of in-service event, pop back into the military, go see a doctor for it, get him, you beat out, and now you got your uh, you got your in-service event and you can claim VA disability. Uh Again, full disclaimer, not medical advice. I'm not telling anybody to do that. I think it'd be miserable and terrible. Don't do that. Um, but I, I do think that uh, contract work or something to that effect is the answer. But I think this policy is indicative of, at least speaking for the Air Force and probably the rest of the DOD as well, they're always trying to get shit for free. Like what they're offering retirees is like a zero budget impact sort of thing. And it is because they're completely capped in their budget. It is what it is. And they're trying to 
spend money like that's why we don't have proper barracks we don't have this because it's one pot of money i know it's all siphoned out into individual things but it's capped at whatever the, the number of congress gives you need to upgrade the fleet and you need to uh buy the procure these acquisitions and things um that when it a lot of times when it comes to personnel it is such an afterthought that they just try to get as much for free as possible which by the way is typically where your retention issue because you get burnt out because people are overworked undermanned and they're like capitalizing on the the bizarre labor dynamics in the military where there's no overtime, no repercussions for overtime, no repercussions for overwork. I think this is just another manifestation of the broken culture in the military where they think patriotism, loyalty, and uh, duty is going to overcome some of the most egregious policy decisions that it's simply just not realistic anymore. But we're running out of time. Luther, thank you very much for joining. I think I already asked for final thoughts, but I think you already said you thought Genesis was a good idea. Anything else we can talk about before we wrap up? No, this has been a lot of fun. Okay. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. In. Um, so thank you again, like I said, to the listeners. Uh, I will post a link to the article in the podcast description. Also link it on the Facebook page and probably LinkedIn uh, as well when the, when the podcast goes live. Uh, but Luther, thank you very much for joining me. And that's the podcast. Adios.